thank you again, whether you're online or in person. Thank you for being here, participating. Just leave this up from now on. This is too hard to bend over. I'm an old man these days. Some of you have no sympathy or compassion. I can tell by the look on your face. I won't name you. But you used to be a neighbor. Sometimes we ask questions like, why doesn't God do something? Uh, there are tragedies, there's accidents, there's things like the world seems to be full, filled with bullies that seem to go unanswered. Um, and it seems like God is so silent, almost seems distant and detached. Um, it has been observed that we probably don't want God to be as active in our lives as we would like him to be active in other people's lives. You know, like, go get them, God. Just leave me alone. Don't, don't you know, when I step out of line, please don't do anything to me. But those people, they're really bad. You go get them. That's probably the honest assessment of things. Uh, Jesus told a lot of parables. He told a lot of stories, and they don't give us direct answers uh, to, to these questions about why God doesn't do things and why he may seem distant and detached and why we seem to have to wait and why he works in ways that aren't as obvious to us as we would like. But his narratives do bring everyday events alongside eternal truth to help us understand the spiritual perspective and the principles that are going on and it gives us a whole new way of seeing things. Several of these parables uh, show what God's kingdom is like. And that God's kingdom has actually arrived. God's kingdom is here. And the end of evil is on the way. Um, it's just not here yet. And we're going to be looking at, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew has collected seven of the parables of Jesus in this chapter. And we're going to be looking at those uh, seven parables over the next few weeks. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 uh, tells us that same day, uh, if you want to know what that day was, you can later look back in chapter 12 and find out what happened. That same day, Jesus went out of the house where he was and sat by the lake, and such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. Let's be honest, parables is a church word. You know, really, we don't use word, the word parables elsewhere, so let me define it very quickly. 
Parables are word pictures, uh, riddles. Sometimes they're uh, they're, uh, they're 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 ways of saying things that are designed to make you think. Uh, the psalmists use them. Poets use them. The psalmist would say, "We are the uh, the Lord God is our shepherd, and we are the sheep of His pasture." They weren't saying that they were literally sheep. <clears throat> put your thinking caps on, as my parents used to tell me. When, you know, uh, put your thinking caps on. They're not saying they're sheep. They're saying they're like sheep and that God takes care of them. It's, you have to think about these things. That's a parable. Um, I was thinking as we were singing, there are parables or word pictures about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is really not a fire. But he's described as fire. He's really not wind, but he's described as wind. Uh, he, well, why, why, why does he describe that way? Well, you can't control the wind and you can't control a fire. And what's even worse is you put wind and fire together, you really have something out of control. And woe be unto that, woe be unto any group of people or person who thinks that they can control the Holy Spirit. When the picture of the Holy Spirit, think of those forest fires that we often hear about out west, blown by those winds. <clears throat> out of control, consuming acres and acres of forest, wilderness. Is that the Holy Spirit? No, but he's like that. You can't control him. Jesus himself says, you don't know where he's coming from or where he's going, but you can tell he's here. Parables are things that make us put our thinking caps on. I tried to figure out if people ever still say that. I don't, I don't remember the last time I heard anybody say that. It's been a long time, I think. Uh, since I, I think my parents were probably the last ones I ever heard say that. That's been a long time ago. Um, Something to make us think. So Jesus talked to the people in parables. It was a, the prophets did it, the, uh, the psalmists did it, the, the, their poets and songwriters had done it. It was a common practice to speak with these word pictures that made them think. And the disciples came to Jesus in verses 10 to 17. The disciples came to Jesus and said, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why don't you, in other words, why don't you just tell them how Plain, who you are, why you're here, and what you're going to do. And that's, that's the question I want us to think about this morning. Why do you, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus replied, well, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you. In other words, I will speak plainly to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, that's, that can sound a little confusing, but that even right there is kind of a parable. He says to them, well, I, the principles of the kingdom have been given to you, so think about it. 
I mean, I'm giving you some, I'm giving you stuff straight, but you need to think about it. I'm not giving it to them straight, but they still need to think about it. Jesus wants people to wrestle with his teachings. He doesn't just want to spoon feed us. He wants us to wrestle with things and to think about things. What does this mean? How does this apply to my life? What is what do I have to change if I'm going to bring this into place? <coughs> Why do you speak in parables? I have been, uh, I, I read recently that it's always good to ask why multiple times. Not that I needed to be encouraged. Because <laughs> I like to ask the why question. Uh, so Jesus, why do you speak in parables? He went on to say, this is why I speak to them in parables. And then he begins to talk, he quote from the prophet Isaiah, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, he says, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. You will, uh, oh, sorry, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. See, Jesus understands, and God knew for hundreds and hundreds of years before when he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, that the doorway to, to understanding and turning back to God is actively thinking about what he teaches. <clears throat> and when we go, no, I don't need to. No, I don't want to. No, I'm not going to. We have what Jesus called a calloused heart. And we're not going to understand. And we're not going to turn. And we've cut ourselves off from the healing that God wants to give us. So here's a sermon in a sentence. When Jesus tells a story, put your thinking caps on. If you're not sure what that means, that means think about it. I googled it this week because it's been such a long time. It is a really old, old, old saying. Apparently first said by somebody in Virginia in the late or early 1800s. Somebody over in England may have originated it, they said. Put your considering caps on. Sounds like something a British person. Hold your considering cops on. Yes, I, I, <clears throat> Put your thinking caps on. When Jesus tells a story, put your thinking caps on because what the first thing you think he's saying is probably not what he's saying. And just because he said something in this parable that meant this doesn't mean that it might mean that in every parable he ever tells. Mm. 
When Jesus tells a story, put your thinking caps on. Why, Jesus, do you speak in parables? Jesus tells his disciples, but blessed are your eyes. These people have, most of them don't. So let me give you an example. What does Jesus mean when he said they're seeing, but they don't perceive? They're hearing, but they don't understand. For example, these are the people who Jesus fed with sack lunch. And he left them, went to the other side of the lake, and they found him the next day. And they said, show us the sign and we'll believe you're the Messiah. Say what? The guy just took a sack lunch and fed 5,000 men, plus their families. And you want to see a miracle so you can believe? And had leftovers. Oh, yes. And he had leftovers. Thanks, Ray. <clears throat> They were seeing, but they weren't perceiving. And Jesus' answer was, I'm not going to do that because all you want is free food. They were seeing, they weren't perceiving, perceiving. They were hearing what he was saying, but they weren't understanding because they didn't want to. These were the people who would see Jesus heal somebody in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and go out and figure out a way to kill him legally because he broke the rules. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of a line from a movie. Why are you speaking in parables? You can't handle the truth! I don't tell you parables that will kill you. But you, you guys are listening. You're trying to understand. But blessed are your eyes because they see. And blessed are your ears because they hear. You're at least trying to understand. You're at least trying to perceive. Truly, I tell you, he's, Jesus says to his disciples, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. See, the persons who are willing to hear and to wrestle with Jesus' teachings are going to discover truths from what he says that the ancient prophets only dreamed of. We, we tend to think of Moses and David and Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, these guys, we think of them as like superheroes. And they dreamed of having access to God like we have. persons who are ready to wrestle with Jesus' teachings, the ones who are ready to put their thinking caps on when he starts telling stories, they're going to hear the voice of God instructing them. Why do you speak in parables, Jesus? Jesus, Matthew says, spoke all these parables to the crowd, spoke to the crowds 
in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth with parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus reveals enough of God's hidden plans to let his followers know that we're approaching the culmination of history. His disciples, that's one of the reasons they were getting all these, they were still looking for it. We read it this morning in Acts chapter 1. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? <clears throat> Are you going to set everything straight now? No, it's not time. It's not time, and it won't be time until the Father says it's time, and it's not for you to have any idea what it is. But you're going to receive power. And while you're waiting, you're going to be witnesses. See, the world isn't simply going round and round in circles as some religions and philosophies teach. It's like sometimes it feels like it is. It's going in a straight line toward a goal that's set by God. It's going there faster than we know. It seems like a long time to us. We look at the calendar and go, we've been waiting for over 2,000 years. Well, that's a really long time when you only live 70, 80, maybe 90 or 100 years. That's several lifetimes. But when you're eternal, that's a blink of the eye. The coming of Jesus began. The coming of Jesus and the end of all evil, the, his first coming began the process of final judgment. And as he taught and lived the kingdom, the world was divided. The division began, it was divided into two, two groups of people. There were the people who were swept off their feet in honor and worship to him. And there were those who resisted and rejected his message. Of course, the great thing is, Anybody who rejects him can always change their mind. At any minute, at any moment, because the Holy Spirit is always asking them to do it. That's what the stories were about. Why do you speak in parables, Jesus? Finally, at the, at, in the 50... 152, Jesus turns to his disciples and he goes, and you understood these things. At the end of these parables, he says, and you understood these things. And they replied, yes. And they, Jesus says to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And this was Jesus' ultimate goal. He tells parables to prepare his followers to bless others. He gives us new principles as well as the old principles to heal and to restore each other and to heal and to restore the people around us. He's setting this broken world up for an extreme makeover. There is a day coming that the word pictures are, some of them are downright scary. 
Peter uses a word picture and says the elements, the very elements of the universe are going to burn up and disappear. That's not scary. That's a pretty scary word picture. That's one of the reasons we probably don't want him to act right now. And why we ought to rejoice in the fact that Peter says he's not slow in acting because he wants everyone to come to repentance. He's given everybody every possibility to turn to him. To hear his voice. To receive his invitation and to say yes to Jesus. See, and that's a question. Are we going to cooperate with him or not? See, the doorway to turning back to God always starts with actively thinking about what Jesus teaches. And too many people have made up their minds to refuse to, to consider a different point of view than what they have. Jesus called this rejection of going into the process of understanding his teaching a calloused heart. Now, it's real easy for us to think that that callous heart belongs to people, those people outside. But really, religious church folk can have this mindset. Saul of Tarsus is a prime example. Until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And was knocked off his donkey. I had to edit that. I'm sorry. He didn't need to think about who Jesus was. He was obviously a fake, a fraud, and a phony. The Messiah would never be crucified. And obviously, all those stories about him being resurrected were a lie. That just doesn't happen. The resurrection happens to all of God's people at all of the same time. Until, of course, you meet the guy face to face, and then you got to go, whoa. This does not fit my way of thinking. And he goes, you got, I'm going to give you three days to think about this, Paul, and then somebody's going to come and heal your blindness, and then you're going to be my witness. See, refusing to understand keeps some people from even considering following Jesus. They've made up their mind and they don't need to think about it. They're like the guy who says, I don't know what you're talking about, it, but I'm against it. I've made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. Right? These are, they don't, don't need to think about it. Others, others they'll think about Jesus or kind of curious about Jesus, but they're not really going to really follow him they're going to be 
they'll show up at church once in a while. They like to sing the songs. They like to worship him, you know, because worship feels good, but they don't, they're not really going to sell out to Jesus. It keeps other people from growing to live and love like Jesus because, well, that, that sounds like sacrifice. I mean, he said that this thing about take, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me every day. See, refusing to consider what it's going to be to be to change from where we are to where he's calling us to be, that calloused heart will keep us from really being all, following him and enjoying the blessing he wants to give us. He wants people to wrestle with his teachings. Jesus wants us to wrestle with his teachings until they begin to shape our lives. He seeks to reprogram our thinking through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. We don't like to admit this. This is one of the first things we have to do is to admit the fact that our thinking is every single human being's thinking is broken. Warped. Deformed. Have you ever used a computer and seen the blue screen of death? They're becoming rarer and rarer. I guess that's a good thing. It makes this particular parable harder for some people to understand. But that back in the day, the blue screen of death was not unusual. And that's the way our thinking is. It's not unusual for us to be just downright morally bankrupt and stupid. Yes, I said it, and it's all of us, not just some of us, not just them, it's us. Not just, I mean, all of us. And we need that to be changed. All of us need to be reprogrammed, healed, fixed. See, a lot of things about our world have changed over the last 2,000 years. Jesus did not have a cell phone. I know for sure. Jesus did not have a car. Jesus did not, Jesus didn't even have a Model T. Jesus did not have, none of his disciples had muskets. Please don't send me emails on that, but it's true. Jesus, none of his disciples, none of his disciples had, none of his disciples had indoor plumbing. Amen. Some of you may find that hard to believe. Others of you remember when, well, that was true for some people. Even you knew that, right? But here's the thing. A lot has changed in our world in the last 2,000 years, but... People, not so much. 
people have not changed much at all. Authors Don Everts and Doug Shoup in their book, I Once Was Lost, What Postmodern Skeptics Taught Us About Their Path to Jesus, they list seven thresholds that individuals cross to say yes to Jesus' invitation to live in God's kingdom. The first one is they need to move from distrust to trust in a Jesus follower. I'm not sure. I haven't really decided about this, but I think this may be the only one that wasn't true, at least while Jesus was walking the face of the earth. It probably was true after the day of Pentecost. But it's probably the only one that's like new, so to speak. <clears throat> we need to understand. I'm going to stop here. This, this is a little practical application for us. For many of us who grew up in a time when being a Christian was just like kind of accepted, at least in America. You need to understand you now live in a world where being a Christian is not accepted. And people will not trust you simply because you have a fish emblem on your business card or on your t-shirt or your bumper sticker. In fact, they are more than likely to think you're out to get them. If you're not comfortable with that, good. Because it's true. If you want to help people know Jesus, the first thing you need to do is help them trust you. George. George. Jimmy Johnson would say it's good hunting because it's gotten really quiet in here. <clears throat> That's the first thing. We have to love and treat people in such a way that they will trust a Jesus follower. That's, That's the first threshold. The second one is they need to, people need to move from complacency to curiosity about Jesus. And sometimes when we read the Gospels, it looks like everybody in the Middle East was out, left their homes and followed Jesus. Like, I know there were crowds following Jesus, but it wasn't everybody in the Middle East. There were still some people at home going, yeah, 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 all you people ever talk about is Jesus. There were some who would go, I got to take a, think about this. There were people who said, these were people who said, I'm going to leave my garden, which is my source of income I, and my food for next year because they don't have grocery stores. I'm leaving my garden and I'm leaving my work and I'm going to, for a week, to go out here in the wilderness to find this itinerant prophet and find out what he's about. You got to really be curious 
to shut down everything for a week to go do that. Why do you think they had to do it for a week? Because they had to walk everywhere? Over hills? Through valleys? To find somebody who wasn't on the map? Even today, people have to move from complacency to curiosity. Here's the third threshold. They need to be, we, we need to move from being closed to change to open to change in their life. And this is the first major stumbling block. We need to come to the place where we're willing to go, I might actually need to change something. A long time ago, there was a book written. It was a well-meaning book. It was a book titled, I'm Okay, You're Okay, or That's Okay. The threshold number three is, I'm not okay, and you're not okay, but that's okay because Jesus might just be able to make us okay. If we're not willing to come to the place where we're able to say that and mean that and possibly trust him to do that, we're never going to follow him. The Apostle Paul heading out of Jerusalem on the road to Damascus, I'm way more than okay. I'm better than everybody else. I don't need to change. After he met Jesus, I am not what I want to be. I am pressing on. I'm growing. I want to become more and more like Jesus. First place where people really stumble is on that idea of being closed to change or becoming open to change. From there, then we become, we need to move from just kind of wandering around to intentionally and actively seeking Jesus. And this is where the parables came in for Jesus. This is the main reason Jesus told parables. Are you really serious about following me? Well, then you better start thinking. Jesus tells the story, put your thinking caps on. You need to intentionally try to understand what I'm teaching you. And that'll bring us to the fifth, where we say yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him and we enter his kingdom family. This could be a real sticking point. This would be the second, because this is where Jesus says, pick up your cross. We've tried to make it so easy. Say a prayer. Walk the aisle. Join the church. Get wet, I mean, get baptized. <clears throat> what Jesus said was, come follow me. And he invited people to abandon their old life. 
and start a whole new life. And then the sixth is living in the kingdom. That's possibly the third stumbling block because it's not easy to follow Jesus. I know I promised seven, but they're actually only six. I did the reverse of the author of Proverbs. He would say there are three and give you four. And I said there are seven and I gave you six. Sorry. Here we are. That, that, those are things. And this is Jesus' parables. They're going to stretch your minds and challenge your thinking. That's what they're for. And I'll, this is what I want you to do, though. I want you to fight the temptation applying this message to somebody else. We do this all the time. I, I see this in myself. I see it in other people as well. Do not give in to the urge to say that that guy or that group needs to hear this. I'm not saying they don't, because we all need to hear it, but you and I need to start thinking about what Jesus really taught first. Our rebellion against God warped our hearts and our minds, and Jesus heals the heart of each person who welcomes the Holy Spirit to renew and transform them through his power. And that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to try to fix other people. Our responsibility is not to try to fix other people. Our responsibility is not to tell other people they need to be fixed. said that really quick, I'm going to slow it down. It is not our responsibility to tell other people they need to be fixed. What are we supposed to do when we witness? Well, a witness tells people what happened to them. I once was a real screwed up ass. You may not believe it because I'm a pastor, but I was once a really skeptical cynic. Now I'm a sarcastic pastor. <laughs> and that's an improvement. It's all because of Jesus. <laughs> so here I have a couple of questions I want you to ponder for a moment. How open to Jesus' thought-provoking parables are you? How open are you to, to, to thinking about them? And letting them stretch your thinking and challenge you. And, and what was the last idea or attitude that you exchanged for a renewed one from Jesus?
How would you describe your relationship with Jesus, your attitude toward him? Jesus is just all right with me? Or I really want to know Jesus. Okay, I don't need to change. Or I want to be more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need you. God, Jesus told us that just like we, as parents, long to give good gifts to our kids, you long to give us your Holy Spirit. In fact, he said, how much more will you give us your Holy Spirit? More, much more. So on this Sunday of Pentecost, of your people in place of our stagnation and our palaces and our more of your Holy Spirit. Stretch us. Challenge us. Put your finger on thoughts and attitudes that fall short of your perfect love. <coughs> We have welcomed the comforting ministry of your spirit. But now we welcome your convicting and converting and renewing ministry. with your fruit, Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, 
all those things that made us like Jesus. So that we in turn can be Jesus, like Jesus to the people around us. And in his name, help them cross the thresholds into your kingdom realm. Amen. I want to challenge you to join me in pondering this question this week. What was the last idea or attitude you exchanged for a renewed one with Jesus? Um, I'll post it on the Facebook page. At this point, that's the only way I know to make it available as broadly as I possibly can. If I think of something else, I'll do it. But what was the last idea or attitude you exchanged for a renewed one in Jesus? Well, we started by reminding us that this is Pentecost Sunday and we're celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to remind us of the same anointing that was on Jesus, the same spirit that had prepared him and empowered him for ministry is on us and in us. The spirit of the Lord is upon us. The spirit of the Lord fills us. We have been called. We have been anointed. We have been given a task. And so we go from here carrying good news to our world, news about freedom from oppression and healing for the afflicted. The time of the Lord's favor is now. It is a time for celebration. It is a time for hope. It is a time to praise him. Hallelujah. You are sent with good news. Go with Jesus. Seriously, 